Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today on the show. We're going to talk a little about calcium. Now, I realize when you hear a topic, calcium, you go, okay, this sounds pretty dull. But let me put it to you this way. If you have the right amount, the right balance of calcium in your plants and in your soil, you raise better crops. And not only that, you have a healthier soil, you have a more nutritious food that you are producing. Calcium is just tremendously important. We're going to talk about it throughout the show today and what you want to see your soil levels at and some of the reasons why it's important to have calcium in the plant. If you've got any questions for us, if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm or if you just want to uh, visit with us a little bit, we're more than happy to take your phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So yesterday our show was the Scouting and Scholarships event, and we had actually pre-recorded that on Saturday when we held the event. It was a lot of fun. We had students from, I think, 30 different universities or colleges, Votex, whatever, uh, post-secondary schools. And they were from, I believe, 13 different states, if I remember right. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And it's just, it's exciting to see the future of agriculture in person. Now, one of the things that we talked about a lot on Saturday is just how things can change really quickly out in fields. So we were out in the field quite a bit during the day, going through a lot of different scouting things, whether it was below ground with a root pit, above ground, talking about weeds, insects, and diseases, um, looking at staging corn and soybeans and just the different, different, well, different stages that the plant has to go through and what it takes to go from the seed all the way up to maturity and harvesting a great crop this year. But I I, I guess we had a lot of great questions that day, and it was one of the things, too, where we, we told people right up front, make sure you're asking lots of questions, take lots of notes, but we all have to be lifelong learners, and it's just like with this calcium thing here. So for Darren and myself, growing up on the farm, going to school for ag, you know, sure, calcium was probably mentioned a little bit, but even I didn't understand the full importance of what it does just in the soil. Let's start with that. We talk often here on the show about drainage and about compaction. And so right away, people are on to the tile thing with drainage. And when com- when it comes to compaction, it's a lot about tires versus tracks, being out in the field too early versus not, your soil type, all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, wait a second here. One of the most important things I want to look at on the soil test, whether we're talking drainage or compaction, it's calcium. Calcium is a much bigger molecule than magnesium, and calcium and magnesium are the predominant nutrients that are in your soil in most cases. Well, if you don't have the right balance, the right ratio, the right amount, then you're going to have more issues with drainage and compaction, and it comes back to this. With that calcium being dramatically bigger than the magnesium molecule, what, what ends up happening is if you have 
lots of magnesium out there. There's not enough pore space in between the, the magnesium pieces, and you just don't have that good drainage. You just don't have anywhere for that water to go, and all of a sudden you have a soil that's tight, it's much more likely to be compacted, and now we got major problems. So what we're typically shooting for is 65 to even as high as 80% calcium. If you're in that kind of range on a base saturation test, 65 to 80% calcium, usually you're in about as good a shape as you can be in. Okay, so could you have more calcium? Sure, but then typically we get things out of balance, and now we've got other problems besides the drainage and compaction issues. But I'm, I'm just trying to say this. You can loosen a tight soil with more calcium. So don't ever forget that. It's incredibly important. And you may run into those kind of fields, whether it's new ground you're picking up or ground you're already dealing with, where it's tight, heavy soil. Take a look at your calcium level and improving that if you need to. Okay, we'll talk more about calcium throughout the show today, but right now let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag! Brian, got tissue tests and soil samples here from Bill and he's, or from Wayne, and he said, this is a field I started farming this year. It's the first time I've tried growing wheat. I noticed the wheat was not a bright green and decided to take some soil and tissue samples. I spread 150 pounds of urea before I planted. Just wondering what I can do to get this crop to the finish line. It's at 12 to 14 inch height right now. Okay, so we were just talking about calcium. His calcium levels are actually pretty good other than a couple spots where his soil pH is down into the fives. He's got a 5.2 and a 5.5. So yeah, you need just a little bit of lime there. Don't go overboard, but you need a little bit of lime. Cation exchange capacity is 20 to 23, so it's fairly heavy soil. But the biggest things that I'm looking at right away is uh, other than the pH and there's a wide pH range. So let's put it this way. One is 5.2, the, the lowest spot. The highest spot is eight for pH. So you got to manage those two areas differently. But beyond that, I just look at the nutrients. And so like with P1 phosphorus, we're at three parts per million to eight parts per million. So it's really, really low and very deficient on phosphorus. Potassium, we're as low as 1.9 to 2.4% base saturation K. Yeah, there's one spot that's good where it's 4.7. Great. But the other spots, we got to address that potassium. And I realize that fertilizer is expensive this year. I'm not saying you have to go crazy this year and build everything up this fall, but you got to start working on it. So when you talk about getting to the finish line, the things that I look at are some of the mobile nutrients like boron, you're down to zero, as low as 0.3 parts per million. Sulfur, you're as low as 7 parts per million. So it, it's little things like that where, you know, if I'm, if I'm raising a wheat crop, I'm considering, hey, should I put just a little bit more nitrogen on there? Um, I've got my levels pretty low in this soil test. And then add sulfur and boron since they are also leachable nutrients. But yeah, just look at the whole picture. If you got more questions, let us know. All right, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. 
It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting corteva.us. Low rates and high yields with Spraytech fertilizers. Yes, get low rates and high yields with Spraytech's Fulltech, the most complete adjuvant on the market. Fulltech offers burn control, better fixation on leaves, better homogenization in the tank mix, drift control, better spreadability, and more. Fulltech is changing the way you treat your crops. Get higher yields and more money in your bank account with Fulltech from Spraytech. Ask your local retail for Fulltech adjuvant or visit Spraytech.com for more details. Compromise is nice, if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitech fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio and today we're talking about calcium. Right before the break, I was answering a question from Wayne up in North Dakota and it, it had to do with wheat and how do you get the crop to finish and I, I kind of ran out of time there. He sent tissue samples and soil tests and I was looking primarily at the soil test because that's more predictive of what's going to happen in the future. Right now, the tissue test, for example, says... We've got great levels of sulfur, but when I look at the soil test, I go, ooh, we got as low as seven parts per million of sulfur. That is not going to carry us through to the end of the season. Same kind of thing with nitrogen. Now, the nitrogen, you might actually make it because in some of this ground, there's as much as 5% organic matter. Granted, there's as low as three, but we figure we're going to get some nitrogen out of that organic matter. The other thing is when we're pulling in-season soil tests. What I'm always interested in in-season, in areas that have heavy ground like this without a lot of rain. Now, granted, yes, this year has been a wet year, but still, normally in North Dakota, there's not a tremendous amount of rainfall. So I like seeing deeper soil tests with when we're running pre-citrus nitrate tests, whether that's in front of corn, wheat, whatever crop we're going to put nitrogen on, we do those mid-season. Well, we like going all the way down to 24 inches deep because a lot of times we'll have roots that will extract nitrogen from that deep or the nitrogen through capillary action with the water will move upward a little bit. But anyway, so here's where I'm going with this. To, to finish this crop out, and he was talking about, okay, what do I need to do to finish the year? Yeah, I am looking at boron. I am looking at sulfur and granted, real low levels. The problem with phosphorus, because that was the other one that I talked about, you might say, well, wait a second, if your soil test says low, his tissue test is saying low, what do you do for phosphorus? There's not a lot you can do. Phosphorus doesn't go into the plant real well foliar. You can try some put out on the soil surface, but, I mean, it would take an unbelievable amount of rainfall to get it into the ground. And if you have that unbelievable amount of rainfall, you might have soil erosion, and then the little bit of phosphorus laying on the soil surface erodes away anyway. 
So that's the trouble with phosphorus. That's one that you just can't really fix in season. And that's why I'm glad you're testing. I'm glad you see, hey, this is where I'm at today. But for next year, I just say make sure up front you're addressing the P and the K and the zinc and copper, things that don't move well in soil. And then in season, you can always do some nitrogen, sulfur, boron, the leachable ones, the things that will move quite well in soil with even a little bit of rain. Uh, you can tweak those as you go along. But some of these other ones, it's pretty tough at this late stage. Well, when you think about calcium, it, it's very important, as Brian mentioned, and we we look at farms in different climates and different parts of the country, and we do see the importance of this nutrient over and over for uh, for a number of reasons. Get Lee Luber's with us right now. He farms down in South Central South Dakota. Lee, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, we're talking calcium today, and a lot of times when we start this discussion, people say, well, that means lime, right? And I say, well, it could, but it doesn't necessarily. How about for you? Does calcium, does that discussion mean lime on your farm? Does it mean gypsum? Does it mean anything else? Uh, we're so far away from any sources. We would love to be doing that in some pieces of ground, but we're so far away. The transportation cost uh, gets to be just almost cost prohibitive. Yeah, you're exactly right. The uh, interesting thing on fertilizer and any kind of nutrients uh, for our soil, once we open that discussion up, we'll get growers from different parts of the country saying, well, in our area, we don't have access to dry fertilizer or we don't have dolomitic lime near us and we need magnesium too. Uh, where do you see calcium levels uh, in, your part of the, in your part of the world? Do you see high calcium levels there predominantly or, or is it lower? Uh, in our loam soils, we're pretty lucky we've got some really nice calcium levels, so we're able to help buffer our boron. And there's one individual who's way smarter than me, Mr. Neil Kinsey, and I remember him in a meeting stating that uh, he said, uh, boron helps get calcium into the plant, and calcium helps get everything else into the plant. So we know calcium's important. Uh, like I said, we're so far away from the sources that we haven't been able to do the gypsum or the lime in uh, certain situations, but we have been looking at some foliar products and trying to get calcium into the plant that way or putting calcium with other micros and try to increase uptake. Now, you mentioned the, the calcium really as a buffer for boron, and this is something, too, where we, we talk to farmers all the time that get excited about, oh, boy, boron sounds like the silver bullet for me, but there, there's safe levels of boron, like you say, when you've got good calcium levels and everything else is fine in your soil versus when uh, you get a lot of challenges out there. Uh, have you guys pushed it on the boron, or, or have you, you played it safe so far? We haven't quite pushed it to Brian's level. <laughs> I was saying that, but I wasn't really saying that, Lee. So thanks for calling me out on that. <laughs> uh, but we have been increasing our levels. And uh, this year we went uh, actually some wheat fields and some corn fields. We went two pounds of actual in our dry blend. And it worked great. And, uh, yeah, with, with the... With the, again, with the calcium levels where, where we are at, we're able to buffer with that boron. So uh, we're kind of, we're not as inhibited as we used to be with it and keeping increasing the amounts. And we're seeing great responses by that. It's very synergistic, but you do need that calcium level to be at the right area to help buffer. 
Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the wheat, and I look at at wheat heads and get to visit uh, you know quite a few different wheat fields, and I see those kernels shriveling up at the bottom of that wheat head because part partly because we're running short of boron, and like you mentioned, we need calcium to get a lot of these nutrients into that crop. Uh, it, what I guess, what has been your experience with that? I mean, where, where you have some challenges with calcium out there, are there any certain nutrients that you say, man, I'm really struggling on this nutrient or that nutrient, and it, it could very well be that I'm just low in calcium there? We would like to try to figure out how we can get more calcium into the plant and also more iron. Very minute amounts, but we know we can get a big effect from doing so. Uh we look like in our environment too, uh, well, calcium is great for cell wall strength and for helping for resilience of the plant, for handling more adverse moisture, you know, when you're short. And so we know calcium would, if we can get it into the plant, we know we're going to get a good payoff from it. Yeah, and we're testing that this year, the resilience of the plant and, and just the cell walls holding up with the, the kind of heat and, and dry weather that we're seeing. How, how's the crop holding together out where you guys farm? Uh, row crops look good. Our wheat uh, is starting to get pushed here in the home stretch. It's into late milk, early dough, uh, but we're getting pretty dry. You can start seeing it's starting to stress it on a few hilltops. But again, I've noticed the uh, fertility that we're doing and everything from boron to you name it, and just overall plant health is giving us a lot greener plant. So we're able to hold in longer here for the home stretch. So we've seen real good fill in our kernels, uh, nothing bare in the bottom, and kernel size looks good. So we're staying optimistic, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to get pushed here in the home stretch. You mentioned some liquid calcium products that you're playing with. Are you doing stuff in furrow or are you talking about foliar type things? Doing some foliar, uh, but I think we're going to keep expanding that because I, I think calcium is starting to become a low-hanging fruit. You know, it's uh, considered a secondary nutrient, but I think it's probably one of the most important secondaries out there, and I think we need to give it its attention. Yeah, no doubt about that. We're giving a little bit of attention to calcium on today's show and, and real thankful to have some input from guests like Lee Lubers that you're hearing from right now. Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, anytime. When we think about calcium, Brian, I, I look at the the soil-applied dry inputs that we've done primarily, uh, gypsum and lime, but we have done some liquid work as well. I know we use some Liberate CA. I, I picked up some new ground that needed to get some lime, and it just wasn't going to happen that year. And we, we did see a difference putting that liquid in furrow and played around with some rates there and looked at some different things. Uh, we've we've had other guys kind of in the same situation that Lee's in, in areas where we just couldn't get um, access to or the trucking cost was just really, really high in some of those calcium products. Uh, and that, that seemed to be a good bridge at least to to get by for, for this crop or for the next couple of crops. So we'll talk more about some of these calcium sources and take your calls and questions right after this. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about calcium, a super, super important nutrient that really doesn't get enough attention. Now, I get it. If you need to lime, you can say, oh, no, no, whenever we, we need to lime, we, we get after it. Uh, I get that. But when we look at calcium, both from parts per million standpoint and certainly from a base saturation standpoint, uh, it's one of those foundational nutrients that we need to to really help improve nutrient uptake overall in our soils and a number of different functions within the plant. We've got Abe Isaac with us right now with AgroLiquid. Uh, Abe, how are you doing today? I'm doing very, very well. How are you? 
you know, uh, can't complain. We could use a little rain, but that's normally the case when we get into late June, early July. And I've got a few acres that could use a little bit more calcium, Abe. And uh, what's it like in California? Is calcium a nutrient you've got to apply often out there? Uh, yeah, but for different reasons. Uh, at our soils out here, we've got plenty of calcium in the soil, but it's a matter of getting it into that plant and getting it doing what you want it to be doing. Uh, so much of it is just tied up. It's just sitting there. It's not very soluble. So, uh, you know, it's, it's weird for growers when you go to them and you say, well, you need to apply more calcium, a soluble calcium. And they're looking at you and their base saturations at 75% and they're going, I don't need more calcium. But, uh, if, if the calcium you have there is not doing that job, it's not able to get more plant. You know, that's, that's one of the things we run across here in California. Yeah, that's a challenge. I know we've got some high calcium soils, too, where we struggle with calcium availability in the Midwest as well. And that's, that is, it's yeah. hard for growers to say, well, wait a minute, I've got thousands and thousands of pounds out there, but we can't get it in. And uh, how, how big a role does boron play in that? I know we just, our last guest was talking about boron is really helpful for getting calcium into the plant. Is it applying available calcium and also making sure our boron's in good shape? Well, one of the things that I, that I found here in, in my own experience in farming here in California for stone fruit, and I'll give you the short version, otherwise I'll take up your whole show, but uh, for years we had a problem with a uh, with staining in peaches, in our peaches, and we'd harvest it, we'd bring it in, and after two, three hours it would start to turn to discolor, and it didn't really show much uh, shipability damage, but it was just, an, uh, I mean, it looked bad. It was an uh, ugly piece of fruit. And so we kept, we put, spread calcium on our trees to, to well, that's a calcium deficiency. And, and for the most part, I believe it was. But we had a real hit and miss thing with that as far as success. Um, and then I had a problem with some grapes where the yields were, were okay, but quality was down. And it turned out it was a boron problem. So I started applying boron on, that, on, this, on my soils. And this is the east side of the San Joaquin Valley here in California near Fresno. And so as I did that, I said, well, if it worked good for my grapes, it's got to work good for my stone fruit. So I started doing that. And then after a few years, my standing problem was greatly diminished. And it wasn't until I was reading uh, Western Farm Fertilizer Handbook of all things, I ran across exactly what your last guest talked about, and that is the relationship between boron and calcium. And if you don't have enough boron, your calcium levels, no matter what they are, they're just going to have a tough time building into that, into your crop and into your tissues. And uh, so they started adding that boron. Wow. It, it made a huge difference. Now, you travel 70 miles, 60 miles west of me in the western edge of the San Joaquin Valley, and they would say, we would love to ship you some calcium boron because they have access. So, you know, it's, it all depends where you're at. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. It's it's really interesting. I think the other thing is being a student of your crop and paying attention to what's going on out there and what yeah. kind of responses you're getting. Uh, I, I know when we think about calcium additions, uh, the other thing our last guest said is, man, I'm in an area, I can't get calcium out here. It's it's just so much trucking to get it here. What have you seen from, from liquid products, uh, both in furrow at planting time or, or even in crop? Uh, there's a lot of good liquid products. Uh, a lot of companies have taken uh, a calcium nitrate and uh, and then tur turned it into liquid. 
and use that. Uh, calcium nitrate is a good source of calcium. Uh, growers have a tendency to say, well, it costs, because it's cost prohibitive, but considering the availability of it, the, the solubility of it, it's a very, very cheap source of a good calcium. So, uh, guys do use that. Uh, the, the old standard here is steel gypsum, uh, with some lime. And that's really driven by the pHs that we have out here uh, over the last 25 years. They've just creeped up from uh, the mid-sixes up to the even the high sevens and eights at this point. So it really depends on, on what your soil is telling you and what your base saturation levels are, what you're going to use. Yeah, it's just so important to do soil testing, uh, work with good fertility people that oh. have been around a little bit, and take some notes, too, yeah. as you're going. Oh yeah, 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 and 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 it's and it's Neil Kinsey, uh, you know, your previous guest mentioned that, you know, and, and reading the books that he has written, I, they're really written for that farmer that is not an agronomist and maybe he doesn't have that science background they would really like to have, but uh, they put it down in in plain old English for a guy to understand and how you can apply that to your situation. It's not, it's not that difficult once you kind of get your head around it. No, I really, I really appreciate that encouragement too, Abe, for for all of our listeners because we we so often run into folks that say, "Man, I just haven't had enough training on that. I, I'm not sharp enough on that." You can be. There are resources out there that really are pretty easy to understand and pretty straightforward. And and our guest here, Abe Isaac with AgriLiquid, is is pointing that out. Abe, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, having you on today. We'll have to have you again sometime. I'd love to do it. Thank you. You bet. It's Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm not sure how you guys in California have time for these things. It seems like there's always a crop, and uh, our next guest, Bill Brush, also in California, is is always busy with planting or harvesting something out there. Bill, we're talking calcium today. I know, I know that one really hits close to home for you too. <laughs> yeah, sure does. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on today. Uh, well, you know, calcium is, is if you read a lot of what Neil Kinsey's written and I'm particularly back to Dr. Albrecht, you know, calcium becomes really the key element. I mean, people tend to, to look at a soil analysis, I mean, a fertilizer analysis, look at NPK and S maybe, and, uh, and sometimes forget about calcium. And really the calcium is, if you think about your base saturation, more than two thirds of everything hanging on your clay particles should be calcium. And if that doesn't give you an idea of how important it is, and, and we tend to focus a little bit too much when we look at calcium, not so much as a nutrient, but as something that gives us uh, soil structure. And with soil structure becomes that nice, beautiful mixture of air and water that feeds our plants. With that in mind, it also is the perfect environment for microbial activity to work. And so what happens is, is our... When we get the proper amounts of air and water in the presence of good microbiology, what we get is efficiency. You know, I've cut nitrogen use down by sometimes way more than 50% just by getting the calcium up to where it needs to be when it was extremely deficient. It also is the key to <clears throat> filling cells. You know, basically most cells are filled with, with calcium and cells are glued together with calcium pectate, which is another function of calcium. So if you want growth, you get nitrogen for cell division. You got to fill those cells with calcium, glue them together with calcium, 
and then firm them up with potassium. And I don't care if it's weeds or any crop you're going, growing, this is the, the proper way that you make growth happen productively. The other thing, when people say I'm short of calcium and they're seeing things like blossom end rot on uh, tomatoes or this, uh, they're getting soft spots on peaches or other stone fruits. The one thing they try to do is foliar it. And one of the things you'll find is it's not a good foliar. I mean, there's some guys out there that claim it, but I've not found one, one that I particularly like. It tends to get in, but only in the area. It's not very mobile once oh, it gets inside yep, the plant. Yep. And so once it, if it can't move inside the plant, then foliar doesn't do as much good. So either that or you have to have just absolutely perfect total coverage. And for most people, we don't have the time <laughs> or, or the spray equipment. The kid's done perfectly. No, so that's, that's that is a real challenge, no doubt about that. We're speaking with Bill Brush here in California. He gets to work with a lot of different crops and a lot of different growers. Uh, Bill, thanks for talking calcium with us a little bit today. We really appreciate that. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. Its easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine. Weather or not, relentless. That's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now, 
You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today just talking about calcium. If you've got a question for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, we're going to jump right back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Darren, what you got next? All right, Brian, got a few questions here from Bradley. He said, there, there are some blends of 2,4-D and dicamba out there. Do 2,4-D and dicamba have synergy together? And if so, just wondering why, since they're the same modes of action. They are, but they each have their own strengths and weaknesses. So dicamba, the volatility is worse and soybeans are way more sensitive to dicamba so that's why people like cutting the rate a little bit but dicamba is in terms of weed control better on kochia and smartweed just to name a couple so I, I, I guess my assumption is those are the reasons why there's been this mix of 2,4-D and dicamba we've never done that on our farm never used that on our farm don't intend to but I could certainly see where there would be a need and a fit. All right. Got this one from Brian up in, oh, uh, I guess there's one more. Uh, Bradley said, if uh, would other chemicals like PPOs have the same synergistic effect or why don't they recommend putting two PPOs out at the same time? Well, that's whole different because now all of a sudden you've got a lot of soil residual and uh, and here's the thing they talk about the ppo deal quite often like let's just let me just give you the example of valor and authority all right so usually people are using i'm going to call it a full rate or relatively close to a full rate of either one when they're using a pre-emerge in front of soybeans the problem is if you go higher than that by adding another ppo now you run into issues hurting the crop so in soybeans, for example, there have been people that have put Valor out there plus authority, and then they've really dinged up the crop. You just got an overload of PPO. With 2,4-D and dicamba, typically people are talking about spraying grass, like out on a pasture or something. That's usually what they're doing. Well, my gosh, you'd have to put eight times the rate on to hurt that grass. So I'm not worried about the grass at all. But soybeans are pretty sensitive. You can put on a double rate of a PPO and now you will see a little bit of damage in that soybean and a little bit of damage means a little bit of yield loss. Well, this year, especially with today's commodity prices, it means a lot of dollar loss. So we want to be really careful with crops like that that are worth a tremendous amount of money. But yeah, as far as the synergy thing, Valor and Authority kill really about the same weeds. We see similar weed control. So to think that one is going to help the other, I don't, I, I, I can't imagine that you would have that. So in other words, if let's say you wanted to run a half rate of one plus a half rate of another, I just, I don't see it. I don't know what you're going to gain. 
All right, thanks for the questions. Got this one from Brian up in Ontario, and he said, guys, got a few boring questions for you. Want to talk about packers and rollers. Now, in the past, farmers went from smooth rollers to land packers trying to make a nice seed bed, and they moved away from the rollers because of potential soil crusting concerns and wind erosion. Today, I see many farmers, again, using land rollers and having some success. Uh, on our farm, we started packing the land before corn planting, and we found better emergence, more uniform, and a better final stand, uh, which we felt gave us higher yield. Now, it also helps push down any stones for next year's soybean crop, which we will no-till then. My questions are, do you guys recommend rolling or packing before planting corn? Is there any research done comparing it on yield, or is it more just a preference? All right. I answered his question, I believe it was last week, and I'll say the same thing today as I said then. We're not real big believers in rolling and packing unless you've got really uneven soil like, or you have rocks. Rocks are the number one reason why you want to get stuff kind of evened out. But we do get concerned about crusting. We get concerned about soil erosion. So, it, yeah, it can be done. And you can you can find studies that are going to show yield increase. You can also find some that are going to show nothing. So like in our own farm, we're not doing this as a regular practice. I would say, too, it depends a lot on what kind of seeder you are using. So just as an example here, we on our farm haven't seeded any alfalfa in 30 years. Well, this spring, there's a local dairy, and they said, how would you guys like to raise 500 acres of alfalfa? Not Five, not fifty, five hundred. <laughs> and I go, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. I mean, the the pay looks good, and I mean, we're we're farming some more acres now anyway, so this makes it a little easier on our people on the farm because it's a different timing on harvest and spring and all that. So anyway, without having some super fancy, expensive seeder, we just said, all right, let's get it seeded, and then we will roll it. We will then pack it. The reason why is because, like with alfalfa seed, you want to have great seed-to-soil contact, really, really good, even better than corn and soybeans, which also has to be good, by the way. But anyway, that was our way around spending a whole bunch of money on a seeder that we would literally use once in 30 years unless this gets to be a regular deal. So anyway, that, that was just an example of how we actually did use one this spring, but the last time we would have used one... Oh, uh, we use one in our Ag PhD field day parking lot. <laughs> we raise oats out there every year, and then we want to make sure that that is nice and smooth when people are going to park out there. So after we seed the oats, then we will roll it, smooth it out, pack it. Yeah, so that, that, that's what we do. So in other words, what I'm trying to say here is sometimes there are uses besides just, oh, I want to have great seed-to-soil contact, or I want to get my rocks down in the ground. All right, thanks for the question. I uh, get this one from Steve. He said, when you guys are doing your drain tile installation, what do you call that machine that puts in the lines? And then also, just curious, what is the cost roughly for those machines if farmers were going to do it themselves? Oh, a tile plow? Um, yeah. I, I here I was 
I was going to look that up. What yeah, and we with said the tile plow, there, we probably showed a couple uh, when when you watch our shows over the years that would either be a three point mounted or it could be uh, something you would okay. pull behind. All right. So as of last winter, so I can't tell you exactly today, but last winter a three point tile plow cost about twenty six grand. A pole type cost about forty one thousand each boot. So you'd have a different boot depending on the tile that you're running. So 4-inch or 6-inch or 8-inch or 10-inch, whatever size tile you're going to run. 3500 to 5000 for each boot. Grade control system like Ag Leaders and Teleslopes, about twelve grand. A stringer cart costs around 8000 And then we usually suggest having three tractors, one on the plow, one to pull just in case, and then one to lay out the tile. Now granted, you could use a pickup if you wanted to do that to pull the stringer cart and lay the tile out. So uh, the other thing that we would suggest is having a backhoe, whether that's large or small, whatever. It doesn't usually have to be that big. You're typically not digging deep holes or anything. For many years, we were just using a little backhoe attachment on a skid steer loader, and that worked fine too. It's just if you had a small backhoe, it can make things a little bit faster than going with the skid steer, in our experience. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, get this one in from, uh, let's see. This is from AJ, who said, uh, I really have enjoyed the information you guys are putting out. I'm just curious what you're thinking about for this coming winter. Are you planning on doing any soils clinics? Hope you guys are having a great growing season. Yeah, we are planning on doing a soils clinic, probably another two-day event. We will be live streaming that as well, so that would be an option if you wanted to catch it that way. It's usually better if you're in person, though. The distractions are fewer. You get the chance to ask questions and, and talk to other farmers as well. So I would just say if you're serious about improving your soil fertility and just learning how to read a soil test and, and what you need to do on the farm to maximize profitability, then join us for that. It'll be free. I, I can't tell you the exact dates. We haven't set that yet. But either in January or February at the Morton Center, here right on our farm, right at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We will have a free soils clinic, probably a two-day event. Thanks for your interest and thanks for your support. Really appreciate that. We'll talk more about whatever you want to talk about. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler fungicide unleashes the power of the plant's microbiome and multiple modes of action to deliver extended, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. With all the advantages of no residue, zero PHI, minimal REI, and take-mix flexibility. Get the fiercest, most effective protection available with Howler fungicide, a product of AgBiome. Learn more at agbiome.com howler. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. 
be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. back you're listening to ag phd radio we're right in the middle of the ag phd mailbag time taking your emails radio at ag or your phone calls at 844-44-AG-PHD all right brian got this one from dave up in northeastern south dakota he said uh, conventional soybean question for you guys got a little bit of a mess here uh, used prowl h2o as a pre and water hemp is breaking through that. Uh, already sprayed 16 ounces of Flexstar and mixed some clethodim with it a couple of weeks ago, but it really didn't do much on the water hemp. Uh, we, we did add in some high surfactant oil concentrate and some ammonium sulfate and sprayed 15 gallons per acre. Thought we were doing things right, but weeds are now water hemp, two to eight inches, sunflowers, two to four leaf, Yellow nut sedge, four to eight inches, and velvet leaf, two to six inches. And of course, they are growing every day. Uh, so, just curious what your thoughts are. Had a recommendation of Ultra Blazer at a pint and a half, Bassagran at a pint and a half, Crop Oil at a pint and a half, and a pound of AMS. Um, what do you think about the Blazer now uh, as compared to Cobra and with beans starting to flower, et cetera? Well, I think full rate of Cobra is just a little bit better than full rate of Ultra Blazer, but they're both mediocre at best on the these weeds that we're talking about. Can can you kill the two inch tall stuff? Yes. Four inch tall, you're getting really borderline. Eight inch tall, you got very little chance. Bassagran, I would just say if you want to get that yellow nut sedge, you gotta go with a quart. I'm not I would not recommend a pint and a half. You gotta go a quart and you gotta find a day that's really warm and humid. 
in the future, I, I would just say we talk about this so much, and I, and I, as an agronomist, just speaking as an agronomist here, I will not tell a farmer, you're fine to plant conventional soybeans unless you're willing to do the three pre's. You put a yellow out, plus metribuzin, plus PPO. When I talk to a farmer and he says, nope, I don't want to do all that, all I want to put out is prowl, I say, well, look, please do not raise conventional soybeans okay. then because you can't kill the weeds. Let's let's talk about this, though. The water hemp, I 100% agree with you. The three right. pre's would have greatly helped on the water hemp. Yes. Now, sunflower... Uh, yeah, yellow but we nut don't, sedge. Yeah, but we don't know how bad this problem is with sunflower, That's yellow true. nut sedge, and That's velvet. He might have 10 sunflowers in the field and, and 10 and million one, water and one plants. patch of yellow nut right. sedge. Now, the, the nut sedge is probably in a poor drainage area. You go fix that drainage, and then you might never see yellow nut sedge again. Okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. And the yellow nut sedge, you might just patch spray that one, and you might come back with a quart of bassagran later with a quart of oil and, and hit that another time. Right. Uh, the velvet leaf, you can clean up velvet leaf with resource uh, or yes. cadet. Uh, so if you miss it this time, there is a rescue. Those both have a pre-harvest interval, yes. but you, stood, you should still have some time if you needed to spray the and, velvet leaf again. Hopefully, your soybeans are big enough that you're going to get crop canopy. This is the other thing with conventional beans. I think you need narrow row spacing and early planting on conventional soybeans to try to canopy well, as quickly as you can. Okay, but you don't have to do that if you're willing to do the three pre's. Plus you do the Flexstar you talked about, don't go to 16 ounces. I, I'm already worried about carryover. That concerns me very greatly with your area of the country and how cold you are. I, I would not go 16 ounces in the future. 12 is it. But the other thing is you got to throw in a warrant, a dual, an outlook, something. you got to get a group 15 out there. So if you do the three pre's plus Flexstar and a group 15, now you've got five different chemistries, four modes of action. Now at least you're in pretty good shape. But this was always the problem with conventional beans. So yellow nut sedge, yep, Bassagran's the best. Velvet leaf, like Darren said, resource is the best. Uh, water hemp. Okay, well, Cobra would be the best remaining choice since Flexstar is already done. But wait a second. How about Sunflower? What are we going to do with Sunflower? Well, I don't know. I kind of like first rate for Sunflower. You see where I'm going? I got four weeds. I got four different herbicides that I really like. So I can just remember the conventional days and we'd have guys throwing like four herbicides together and a couple, three adjuvants with it. And they'd burn the heck out of the soybeans. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Why? Just get the three pre's out there, and then we don't have so much disaster post-emerge. So anyway, I know there's nothing we can do about this now. And so we're, we're trying to give you the best advice that we can. But in the future, this is why I'm just so adamant that you've got to have three modes of action out there if you want to raise conventional soybeans. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one in from Chase, who said, uh, I want to ask you guys about MCPE ester on wheat. Uh, I thought I heard in one of your shows you guys aren't big fans of it, but you didn't go into much detail there. I'm curious your reasons behind this, and here's why. I'm using wide R-match and Husky Bolt, or I'm sorry, and Axial Bold mostly, but I'm also using some Husky FX with Axial Bold, where kochia is more prevalent with MCP Ester, also recommended with both of these mixes. Wait, why, why are we throwing MCP Ester with Husky FX? What are you not going to kill with Husky FX? That's what I'm, I'd be curious about. I'd like to know what the weed spectrum is that we're after here. Kochia, you said here. 
oh, well, you don't need MCP ester in there. So just call it good at the Husky FX. You're going to be fine. All that kosher is dead as long as it's relatively small. Do you see and switching from if, wide R match to Husky FX for kosher? No. I, I don't either. No. I, I think both I think, of them are going to be outstanding. Yeah, but let's put it this way. Choices. Here's the thing. The only people that are having issues with either wide R match or Husky FX are those who didn't put the pre out. So if you're letting the kosher get big, then I get it. Eight-inch tall kosher, I don't care what you spray. This was the same thing when we were talking about the water hemp just a minute ago. Big weeds are hard to kill. Plus, you got to think about it this way. If we don't kill that weed, now we've got a much greater chance that that weed's going to become tolerant to whatever we sprayed it to. So that's a double dose of problem. So that's where I just really encourage you in the future. I know it costs a little bit of money, but spend the money on the Sharpen Pre. And then your kosher is 90% gone. And then whatever you spray post-emerge is going to clean it up way better. But no, I'm not throwing MCP ester in there for two reasons. One, I don't need it. So that's money I'm going to spend that I don't feel like I need. And 24D costs this year are about triple from last year. So that's the other thing I don't like. But beyond that, the biggest reason why we don't like any 2,4-D on wheat, if we can help it, and I realize there's some cases where we just have to, we usually feel there's a one to three bushel yield hit. It will ding up that wheat at least just a little bit. I'm not saying major. I'm not saying it's as big a deal as spraying corn with 2,4-D because there we'd see lodging. We'd see 10, 20 bushel yield losses sometimes. I mean, it's typically not that big a thing, but I just want to avoid it if I can. Wide R Match has a 2,4-D replacement product in it. That AR is RLX. Uh, it's Elevore is, uh, is the straight goods name. If, if you looked at that product, it's not labeled, but that's, the, that's what it is. So you got Wide Match plus Elevore in effect, and that Elevore replaces the MCP ester, so you don't need the MCP ester anymore. So anyway, yeah, wide R match, Husky effects, both great on kosher as long as it's at labeled height or less. Thanks for the question. Got Jesse with one here. Jesse says, uh, I've been custom farming and food plotting commercially for years, but I had no idea what, uh, what about some of these nutrient things. So my question here, you talk about cation exchange capacity determining nitrogen and how much you can hold at one time. How about with P and K or any other nutrients? Just curious if if cation exchange capacity is mostly important for nitrogen, or yes. if there's some other things as well. P and K, well, phosphorus, no. But potassium, sure, to some degree. Potassium is way less leachable, way less leachable than nitrogen. But if I had a 3CEC that's basically pure sand, well, anything, almost anything is going to leach through other than I still don't think you're going to see phosphorus, copper, and zinc move through very easily, and even that. But yeah, we say nitrate, okay, you know how leachable that is. Sulfate is roughly half as leachable as nitrate. Boron is not quite as leachable as what sulfate would be. So I would just say, you know, that that's kind of what we're looking at here. So I absolutely look at that CEC with nitrate, sulfate, and boron. I don't look at it so much with phosphorus, copper, and zinc, just throwing some nutrients out there. All right, Brian, a couple questions on field day. Uh, one from Loris, or from Lois, uh, just need some more info on field day. And one from Heidi saying, I'm curious what your schedule is, if you, you have that done, or what times your field day will run. 
Yeah, we're going to post the time. If we haven't already, we're going to be posting our schedule fairly soon. The overall field day runs 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. And you might say, whoa, 7 a.m., that's really early. It is. But I'll tell you what, come out at 7 a.m. because it's typically beautiful. And people don't mind walking around in the nice, cool weather that we usually have in the mornings. And you can find more details at agphd.com. Uh, thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.